Welcome to the Athlete and the Average Joe, an Eclipse Fuel podcast. I'm Georgia, performance dietitian and athlete. And I'm Ryan, primary school teacher and regular guy. We're here to make healthy and fulfilling living more attainable with handy hints that are realistic and sustainable. But even I can implement. We're all about good vibes here, so drop five stars, subscribe, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to The Athlete and the Average Joe. It's Georgia here and I'm recording on location in Torquay today. Um, So I'm actually sitting in the back of Ryan's van that he's done up to um, have us be able to sleep back here. And the reason I'm in Torquay is that I've been in Melbourne for five weeks playing some football with Hawthorne. um, And Ryan kindly drove over in his first week of school holidays with Lilo to visit me. So I've been lucky enough to have him down this week. Um, and we've just been hanging out, enjoying some time together, exploring a bit of coastal Melbourne, um, which has been great. So today he's actually out surfing, so I can see him surfing Bells Beach as we speak, um, which is pretty cool. He's a pretty good surfer. Uh, I, on the other hand, it's a bit cold. So I'm cozying up in the van. Um, so I thought... I would finally get to answer those nutrition questions that I posed on Instagram for you. Um, I'm sorry that it's a little bit late in addressing them. I actually went to record, like I said, on Instagram two weeks ago now, um, but I'd forgotten my microphone. So while I was packing for Melbourne, um, I left it at home, which is very unorganized and unlike me. But I went and purchased this little headset thing, hoping that it would do the job. And it was just so crackly. And I'm all about like good enough is good enough and putting out content. But I know when I listen to podcasts, I want them to be at least audible and they weren't. So I decided to wait a little bit and address them when I have some decent microphones. Um, But I thought I would just give a little, um, not a warning, I guess, but just if there's some weird noises and things, it's very windy down here in Torquay. Um, The van's doing a good job of holding it out and I have pretty good microphones, but every now and then you might hear some wobbling um, or some noises and that would just be the wind coming through or shaking out the van. Um, But yeah, so... Uh, I guess a little bit of a life update for me. A lot has happened um, since our last podcast, but essentially um, I'm over here playing some football. I'm really enjoying it. I've been staying with some lovely teammates and they've just made the experience so uh, welcoming and friendly and I'm learning a lot, which is the whole point of stepping outside my comfort zone. Uh, I remember when um, Perko got me over here, so she plays a Hawthorne along with my other team, old teammate, Tally Redam, and she um, said, you know, we've got an extra spot, and I at first was like, oh, there's no way I could move my life over here, even if it was just for a month or two. Um, so it is a reminder for all of you out there to say yes to opportunities because they don't come around too often, uh, and stepping outside the comfort zone, as we all know, is when we start to grow and change. So I already know that I, I'm loving the experience. Um, of course, like I miss family and home, but but not as much as I'm enjoying growing and developing as a footballer and a person over here. So that's a bit of an update for me. In terms of work, um, so I was doing some contracting work um, remotely for a company, so that allowed that flexibility. Um, That's been quite a bit of stress for me in the last six months. So as Ryan and I talked about, I got my redundant end of last year and some of our earlier episodes, but was able to do some contracting work with another company and that company's now um, no more. So I got let known this week that um, I've got no work with them anymore, which which is totally fine. I was um, unsure of whether I wanted to pursue um, some of that work in terms of values and moral alignment with them. Um, So I guess 
with the company being sold, that decision has been made for me, which is great. Uh, so I haven't really thought much about the future and what that looks like for me in terms of where I'm going to put my energy. I'm really lucky that I have my private practice that I've moved to once a month while I play my football. Um, and then I'm going to Italy in September, which is fantastic. So these next couple of months I get to spend focusing on me focusing on putting some energy into my own platform and my own business. I've always wanted to move into the online space and see people one-on-one because I have so many people reach out to me and want to catch up with me for sports performance advice and they might not have private health. They might not be able to get to one of my clinics on my specific days. So seeing people virtually is something that I will get in very soon and I'm going to set that up. So I'm excited. Um, and there's so many other areas I want to touch on as a dietitian. There's so many possibilities for work. So for me, it's I. as soon as I got let known that I was no longer working in the company, um, I felt like this pressure just was lifted off of me and I have this tunnel that I'd been experiencing in regards to my creativity and not being able to put back into Instagram, kind of just feeling crappy about it, has now lifted and I feel like I have this this time and energy to, to put back into my own business. So um, if people don't really know, in terms of allied health, a lot of it is private practice if you're not working in a hospital or with a private company. And that does take a lot of time and energy. And for someone who puts a lot of time and energy into football, it is really hard to put that time and energy back into my dietetic practice as well. So working for someone else has been great for the short term, but I've always wanted to do a bit of my own stuff too. And I did a bit of that at the end of last year, and I'm looking forward to jumping back into it. So that's a little bit of a life update. Um, Lilo's doing well. She's done so great coming over here with us. Um, she's currently sleeping at the end of my feet, which is adorable. She's very well behaved and just being dragged around the country. So we're very lucky and it's been going great there too. Um, I have missed her while I've been over here, but luckily there's a couple of dogs that I live with and they just give me the best cuddles and make up for it. Um, so... I guess Ryan's out surfing now, so he can't give input today, but I thought I would just focus on nutrition for that reason um, and give you a bit of a summary on some of those questions that were answered, um, sorry, asked to me on Instagram. So let's jump into those questions now. Um, so I had some that maybe we've actually answered in previous podcasts. So I'll um, give those questions out and I'll let you know. So I had one person ask about just general healthy eating, you know, where to start. And we did cover that in one of our previous episodes, literally healthy eating basics is what it's called. Um, And that just gives you a rundown of, you know, what might happen when you come and see a dietitian, how we help you start from nothing. And and it is very general, but it does give you some tips on where to start. Sometimes it's just starting that takes the biggest jump and the biggest leap. And we know that, you know, you can't be great at the start, but you need to start to be great. I love that quote. And uh, just jumping in and changing some small things here and there can make a really big difference. So if you want some basic healthy eating um, advice, let listen to that podcast. The second one I got asked about was some specific sports nutrition advice. Um, and I put that again in another podcast on sports nutrition and performance. So make sure you listen to that. It's actually a really good podcast on, you know, the protein, macronutrients, some timing of nutrients and the hierarchy in sports nutrition. So if you want some information on basic performance nutrition, listen to that. Um, but if you had any specific questions or you wanted some more uh, performance-based advice, I, I can see people, like I said earlier, one-on-one um, through Zoom or Skype or face-to-face if you're in Adelaide, um, and we can chat all things sports performance as well. So there's some ones that kind of have already been answered. When someone was asking about sports nutrition, they were asking on behalf of having a child themselves um, and having high energy requirements, and they're being really busy. 
This is something I see a lot with young athletes. Um, obviously, when you are young, you're in school, you're learning, you're developing, you're growing. So your fuel requirements are a lot higher because of that. So instead of just fueling for performance, you're fueling to grow your brain, to solidify your learning, to start developing your muscle and overall growth. So we have to make sure we're fueling our body effectively, but not relying on just fast sugar or fast foods to fuel that. We want good quality stuff as well. So some of my biggest tips for um, those with higher energy requirements. So even if you're not a youth athlete, um, you're someone who maybe wants to gain weight, you're in a muscle gaining phase, or you um, are a little bit underweight and and wanting to build some muscle as well, or maybe have been previously ill and lost weight. Um, So there's things that you can do. So my biggest tip is to have um, more frequent meals. So when we have to eat a lot of calories for weight gain or for high energy demands, you can get full quite quickly. So spreading those meals out into five or six smaller meals can be helpful. So still your three main meals where you're focusing on getting good quality nutrients in, your color, your protein, your carbohydrates, and then follow the same pattern for smaller meals as snacks. So I recommend usually a breakfast or an earlier breakfast to be able to fit in like a, um, a sort of light meal late morning. Your lunch, sort of early afternoon, um, that three, four o'clock snack, and that again is usually pre-training. And then we might have dinner and then a supper as well. So if you've got high energy demand, spreading that across the day can be very helpful. The other thing to do is, as opposed to people who want to stay healthy or maintain um, weight in a training phase, you can focus a lot on really high calorie foods for low volume. So what I mean by that is that when we think about, say, like our vegetables or high fiber foods that... Um, we can eat really large portions of them, but they don't have much calories, but they've got lots of nutrients. So they might have be full of fiber or water content. They fill us up, again, without providing much energy. Um, but if you are trying to gain weight and maximize the energy that you're consuming, it might be easier for you to um, choose an option that's got maybe slightly less fiber or it's got uh, more condensed nutrients. So it might be having some dried fruit. It might be having healthy fats. Um, it could be including full fat dairy versus low fat dairy. So really focusing on maximizing the meals to have maximum calorie intake to help meet those demands across the day um, and particularly looking at including some more carbohydrates and, um, and at your snacks um, and bigger portions at your main meals. So the way you can do that to get more energy density, say if you're following the plate model and you were doing half plate vegetables, a quarter protein, a quarter carbs, simply changing to thirds. So a third of each of those, a third of veg, carbs and protein, and that will help increase your calories a bit. Big gust of wind just came through. I'm not sure if you can hear that. (laughs) The whole van is shaking. Crazy. So the other thing you can do is then incorporate that in snacks. So making sure you've always got a carbohydrate source at snacks if you do have high energy demands. So it could be fruit, yogurt, um, muesli bars are great, corn thins, um, using things like pikelets as well, homemade versions of things. So, you know, if you make a homemade banana bread or a homemade um, like muffins, you can add extra stuff in. Um, There's a lot less of things like added fats, which we don't really need as an athlete for usable energy. Instead, we want added carbohydrate. 
carbohydrates. So some other really good sources of getting those carbohydrates in that are really low volume are spreads and condiments. So um, looking at including, you know, jams and honeys as well closer to trainings to help with usable fuel. And the idea is that, you know, it is higher in sugar and, you know, it would get broken down quite quickly uh, in terms of getting that energy into your system. But if we have it before training, we know we're going to use it up. Whereas away from training, we want to focus on things like having a protein source or having a fat source to slow the digestion, but getting in those extra calories. Um, So they're kind of the main thing we want to focus on. The other thing we really want to do, um, particularly for youth athletes, is to make the most of those main meals. So we know that Um, you know coming home from school they're probably going to be quite ravenous so that's a really good opportunity to add in some extra energy sources get in some color and fiber and healthy attributes there Um, and then you know when they're not as hungry so at at dinner or maybe they're really tired um, or a breakfast where it's a bit more difficult you know we've really got to maximize the opportunities where their appetite is high and get that food in them and then for those other times it might be including you know a smoothie for breakfast having it on the run and fortifying it with extra oats and peanut butter or um if it is that they aren't, you know, tired around dinner, it's splitting that across a main meal and then a supper as well, maybe a milo of milk. So there's lots of ways that we can get around that and hopefully that helps with meeting the demands. But the last thing is being prepared. So when we have high energy demands, we actually have to do a little bit more work to get the food in and not have to rely on crappy food. So processed food is going to make us feel not great. Instead, we want to get a lot of our nutrients still from, sorry, a lot of our energy from nutritious foods still. We don't want to have to just rely on processed foods and high sugar foods. Instead, we have to plan and prepare. So, you know, really thinking about your meal planning for the week and your snack options to ensure you plan for your snacks um, and that will help meet those energy requirements. So bringing snacks with you when you're at school, at work will really help with that. So you're ready to go whenever you're hungry. Uh, So hopefully that answered the question regarding high energy requirement for not just youth, because that is important, but for those other people who need it for gaining as well. The next question I had from my lovely housemate is, if I'm not sensitive to gluten or don't have celiac disease, why does it affect my poop? (laughs) So um, gluten sensitivity has become a very much a buzz uh, nutrition fad. Um, And I say that because it's kind of been captured by the holistic health movement and by naturopaths. And I do find a lot of them give blanket recommendations to remove um, things like gluten and wheat out of the diet without really doing testing or looking at symptoms. Um, So I guess to preface, when we're looking at the research and the evidence, um, we really need to make sure that nothing sinister is going on in our gut with our symptoms um, related to gluten sensitivity. So some symptoms of gluten sensitivity, I guess, or celiac disease in particular, so that's, uh, we'll explain that in a second. Um, We look at the impact on things like abdominal pain, um, diarrhea and bloating, um, tiredness and poor concentration, as well as general aches and pain. So if those things are happening to you and you go and see a natural health practitioner and they don't do thorough testing, then that's a red flag to me. So make sure you go see someone who's going to do testing, who's going to make sure there are no other conditions that are causing that because those sort of symptoms come under a lot of different conditions, but in particular celiac disease. So when we look at celiac disease, those um, people with celiac disease cannot have gluten in any quantity at all. So unlike sensitivity, when we have celiac disease, what's happening is that it is an autoimmune condition. And we have these little finger-like villi that line our gut. So if we, you know, wriggling your fingers around, there's a lot of surface area there to absorb all the nutrients we need. 
When we have celiac disease, our body has attacked those villi because we're consuming gluten. So it's mistakenly attacking our stomach lining. And instead of having those fingers nice and strong and standing up, they're flat. So the surface area is reduced for absorbing nutrients. And that's why we see like fatty stools. Um, we see the bloating, the diarrhea, because we're not absorbing the nutrients we need. And in the long term, that damage can lead to things like bowel cancer um, and serious health conditions. So we want to make sure we're eliminating gluten completely. Even just one gram can cause damage or one microgram. So people with celiac disease are on a lifelong gluten-free diet. They cannot have it and cross-contamination is a big issue. So one of the things we see with gluten becoming quite prominent is there is a lot of gluten-free foods or labelled so, but people don't understand that they can't have any cross-contamination. So you might go to a restaurant that has gluten-free labelled, but they're still, you know, it might be gluten-free pizza and they still might be using the same pans as the gluten-containing pizzas. That's cross-contamination. So it's really important we have the education of, you know, a celiac-approved restaurants. And on Celiac Australia website, they do have that listed. When you have gluten sensitivity or symptoms relating to gluten, um, I guess some of those symptoms might be similar and we usually just see the bowel-related symptoms like bloating and diarrhea or constipation. Um, and the research is linking that to more of a FODMAP situation. So when we think about gluten and we think about FODMAP, so you've, you may have heard of FODMAPs and I'll discuss them in a second, but the link is that a lot of gluten-containing foods also have one of these FODMAP-containing foods, so it's really hard to eliminate them both. So what we might be seeing is that people with irritable bowel syndrome who have previously eliminated gluten are also eliminating these foods that have those FODMAPs and so they're seeing relief. And by all means, I'm not discrediting people who um, claim to have gluten sensitivity or know they eat those these certain foods and then have a reaction. That's not what I'm disclaiming. I'm just you know, I'm talking to the evidence. And the evidence that originally came out in 2013, that's the starting point where they identified that gluten-containing foods had fructans, which is one of the FODMAPs. Um, and essentially, these FODMAPs are um, types of carbohydrates that when we digest them, they don't break down fully. Um, and when they move from our stomach through our intestine to our large bowel, they um, basically ferment. So they draw in water, they either cause constipation or diarrhea and likely bloating and pain. Um, and so these FODMAP foods, we can do a FODMAP challenge diet take these FODMATs out and then re-challenge to pick the certain foods that are causing these issues. Um, but we will need to do this with a dietitian. So FODMAPs have become very trendy as well, so alongside the gluten diet. And lots of people are doing their own research. They're saying, oh, this must be a FODMAP food, so I'm going to take it out. So instead of working with a professional, they do it themselves and then they're left with all these foods that they can't eat. And so they're very restricted with their diets. And the issue is that a lot of these FODMAP foods are also really high in fiber. So we're taking out all these foods that would actually be really beneficial to our gut and feed our gut bacteria. Instead, we're taking them out and not replacing them with a low FODMAP alternative or a gluten-free alternative if it is linked to things like fructans. So our FODMAPs stand for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. So they're all different types of carbohydrates. They're present in a range of fruits, vegetables, grains, and dairy. Um, so it's really important that you work with a, a dietitian or an accredited um, nutritionist that has worked with FODMAPs and has experience. It is a specialized field. And the idea with FODMAPs is that we are following um, 
you know, getting your symptoms assessed. And usually we don't jump straight into FODMAPs. Usually with gut issues, we'll talk through making sure you're chewing your food properly. Are you taking some time to relax when you're eating? Are you slowing your eating down? Are you not consuming water with your meals? All those things need to be considered first with all the testing to ensure you don't have celiac disease or some sort of underlying condition. Then we can treat your IBS because that's what's left over. So with FODMAPs, you usually follow um, a low FODMAP diet for four to six weeks. We want to reduce the symptoms that are presenting. We want to try and eliminate them all together. And then what's happening then, we will challenge these foods. So the idea with FODMAPs is that we can have a little bit of these foods or whatever your trigger food is, but often across the day, if you have too many of these foods, that's when you get the reaction. So it's about finding your limit and load with certain quantities. And so the challenging is that over three days or um, there's lots of different ways you can do it. But the main thing is over a course of a short period, you're testing quantities of these FODMAP containing foods. So particular sections. So you're either doing the F's, the O's, the M's, um, the D's or the P's. And you're testing foods from there. So usually we get you to test foods that you really enjoy first that you might be missing. You get the quantity and then you get to keep it. But in the meantime, we're not just taking out these fibrous foods. We're, we are replacing them always with low FODMAP alternatives in the meantime. So the idea is that you don't follow this low FODMAP diet for life. Instead, you are following it for a very short period of time, supported by a dietitian or um, specialized nutritionist, and then we're reintroducing foods. If you're seeing someone and they're not reintroducing foods, that's a red flag. Go see someone else. Um, so that just gives you an idea of where FODMAP sits. And a bit of clarity on the craze. So if you see someone who's not accredited and there's a few like gut challenges and things that have been advertised lately, um, I would be working one-on-one. Those things do not work in a very blanket term unless they're with um, an accredited health professional. So linking back to gluten, gluten sensitivity... It doesn't present in the research just yet. There is people that do present with non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And like I said, we are linking it to FODMAPs currently because we are seeing no changes in symptoms when we are eating the foods that maybe do have gluten, but they're low FODMAP. We don't, we don't see an increase in their symptoms. We see a reduction. So the evidence shows that it is these fructans that are always with gluten. So for instance, um, you know, in wheat is a great example. So there are things like wheat allergies in particular where most people are born with that and that's just an allergy to wheat itself again it's a different reaction to a sensitivity a sensitivity is just a presentation of symptoms there's no physiological damage going on um, so you you don't need to eliminate it like celiac disease so that just hopefully gives you an idea. If you feel like you do have some issues with IBS um, or gut problems, make sure you go and see an accredited health professional, get a referral to a gastroenterologist and do some examinations because it's really important. Our gut health isn't something we want to mess around with. We want to prioritize it and get answers because it can be really uncomfortable to have these symptoms. So hopefully that answered that. <laughs> um, that was a very long-winded one, but it's, I think it's just a really important thing as gut health is becoming so popular um, and it's kind of entered the realm of um, like social norm to talk about it. But people who aren't um, doing extra research you know, or doing extra training are now talking about it and it's becoming another fad. So we want to make sure we're prioritizing it. It's great that we're, we're getting into gut health, but it needs to be the correct information. Another thing that has taken Instagram by storm, and I wanted to address it because someone actually asked me about it, and it's the non-diet approach. So the non-diet approach, and I don't want to butcher this, and this is why I haven't talked about it sooner. Um, There's a lot of health professionals out there that work in this space, and they do a fantastic job. Um, So 
there's the health at every size movement, um, there's the intuitive eating movement and non-diet approach. They all come from the same, I guess, idea that we can all be moving towards health with our behaviors rather than dictated by our weight. So a lot of these people, this has come up in Instagram because people who are focused on weight loss or maybe they're doing body comp change and they want to change their body um, are getting offended from the non-diet approach. And there are some people in like in all the industries that take it to the extreme. There are a lot of nuances in intuitive eating and non-diet approach that don't get portrayed in um, social media. And when people take it um, into the mainstream and they don't do the training, they don't do the time and they're not health professionals and they just move into the body positivity and health at every size movement without doing the work, that's when there's a lot of black and white and that's where there's a lot of nuances that are missed. So this movement is essentially a positive movement. It's an alternative for people who are sick of going through the diet cycle for they've spent their whole lives restricting their eating feeling shame and guilt and, and lack of willpower in inverted commas when in fact the diet industry and diet culture has just taken over our society. We have this expectation that we have to look a certain way and we value ourselves aesthetically. So instead it's focusing on, you know, you can be healthy regardless of what your out, outward body looks like or weighs through your behaviors. We all have a different set weight. We all have a different body um, and that's a good thing. If we all look the same, that'd be a very boring lifestyle we'd live. So it's about focusing on making sure we're eating well, we're exercising, we're reducing stress, we're getting social connection. We have access to food. You know, we talk about obesity, ugh, and I hate that word, but we talk about overweight and we, we look at these people like it is a moral issue and it is not. It is an access issue. Um, quite often it is, you know, socioeconomic issue, a poverty issue, and that needs to be addressed first before we can get all high and mighty about nutrition and making choices about food and exercise it's not that simple and it's really um disappointing to see on social media that they some people are taking over these terms of like non-diet and health at every size or intuitive eating and they're not actually practicing it properly and that's an issue with anything that becomes popular um and i'm so glad that we're moving into this movement of being more body positive um, and moving away from diet culture but if intuitive eating if the goal is then to still lose weight, that's not intuitive eating. Weight is never the goal. It's never the focus. We, you know, whatever happens with weight, we kind of let it happen. Um, and we're not anti-weight loss. We're not anti-people who want to lose weight. We're about health first and helping people to be healthy. Because like what we see, and I see a lot of hypocrites on social media where they're like, nah, like weight loss is fine. But then they talk about how you can't diet long term. But the reason you can't diet long term is that it's restrictive and it's bad for our health. So the behaviors that often lead us to losing that last five kilos that we always get advertised are restrictive. They're obsessive and they're not healthy. We're eliminating food groups. We're reducing our calories down to that of a toddler and we're not being healthy with our behaviors. So I thought I'd answer that question and what the idea is behind it. But if you want to read more into it, there's the Health at Every Size book by Linda Bacon. That's a great starting point. Um, Just Eat It by Laura Thomas is a fantastic book that synthesizes it all. Um, and Evelyn Trivoli, I think I'm saying that right, um, also has the intuitive eating book as well. So there's some really good starting points. Um, and, you know, I just think, you know, keep that idea in yourself that what do you have to do to weigh 5% less? So what do you have to sacrifice in your life just to lose those last five kilos? If you're willing to sacrifice that for the rest of your life and live a very unhappy, food-obsessed life, then go for it. But there is an alternative. There's a space you can be that isn't obsessed with weight. 
And I often put back to people when they do come see me for weight, because lots of people still do, I say, why do you want to do it? What do you want to achieve? What will that weight loss actually mean to you? Because quite often we see people that diet their entire lives and they get down to their goal weight and it hasn't made them happy. Nothing's changed because their self-worth hasn't been improved because they're, they're connecting it to this aesthetic. And they're all about, I'll be happy when, when I achieve this goal, when I do this. Instead of focusing on the now, what value they add to society, what is unique about them. And if you think weight loss is a goal for you, maybe think towards why weight? Why can't it be that fitness is a goal, that being stronger, faster, fitter is a goal? Why can't it be that you want to feel more energized, you want to sleep well, you want to be more productive at work? Those are all the things that you can achieve through a healthy diet, through physical activity, through better sleep, through stress management. You don't achieve those things through weight. We can't control the outcome of our weight. I see lots of people on social media that maybe post their failed diet attempts and then they're cycling back to their old weight. Every time we restrict and, and um, restrict our calories and then we put the weight back on, it is just a continual cycle. So I wanted to really let you know that you can focus on your health and it not be about weight. And I really want to empower people on my platform and particularly athletes to know that your aesthetic outer does not dictate your power inwards and what you can give in terms of empowerment um, as an athlete and a human and and your value in this life. There is so much more we have to give than how we look um, and what we weigh in our relationship with gravity. So hopefully that answered that because I think it's a big craze again at the moment with this non-diet, but there's a lot of haziness happening and there's a lot of extremes on both ends. There's a lot of diet people that are fighting back and there's a lot of non-diet people that are kind of jumping on board and being really aggressive about it and not understanding the nuance. So I'm not saying I'm an expert or I know everything, but I've done a lot of my own work in this area and I hope that I've directed you into some alternatives. On that note, I wanted to also talk about sugar cravings because I had someone ask about sugar cravings. Um, So when we think about food cravings and food addiction there's a lot of people that claim you know foods as addictive as cocaine particularly sugar but if we think about sugar if you're addicted to it you'd be sitting down you know pouring honey out of the out of the squeezy thing you'd be sitting down to a bowl of sugar um food manufacturers yes do create food that are maximizing our morishability or wanting to eat more of it so it's crunchy it's high fat it's high sodium it can be high sugar as well but foods aren't necessarily addictive it's our mentality and our psychology behind our eating so often when people come to me and they have sugar cravings i first look at do they actually eat enough so when, like I said earlier, when we're in a diet culture and society and we undereat, we remove food groups, our body's natural response is to keep us alive. That's what it wants to do above anything else is to keep us alive and flowing. So if we remove things like carbohydrates or our total calories, our body's going to fight back to help try and keep you alive. Um, so that can be why we crave sugar because we're not actually eating enough to start with. Or what I find people do is they don't eat breakfast or lunch and then they have a massive meal afternoon Um, and then they're craving sugar after dinner but it might not be they're craving sugar after dinner it could be they're craving energy because they haven't eaten enough during the day so instead I encourage people to have their regular meals get in tune with their hunger and fullness so assessing it more regularly um, and then 
likely their sugar cravings will reduce. And it is a really hard psychology when you've dieted for so long. I know I really struggled with the hoarding idea that if I ate all this food for breakfast and lunch and my snacks, you know, what have I got left for the rest of the day to eat? You know, I'll be hungry. But when you actually eat earlier, you fuel your body for the daily requirements you're not as hungry later on or you are just a regular amount of hungry instead of ravenous. So that's a way you can reduce sugar cravings. Obviously, we do want to reduce our overall sugar intake. So um, for a lot of Australians, we do still consume a lot of excess sugar. So really focusing, if you can, and you can um, look to reduce your processed food intake where added sugars are present, um, you know, making sure we're hitting our fruit goals to start with to get that extra fiber and vitamin minerals rather than reaching for something that's mainly sugar-based as a lolly. Um, The other thing that can help with sugar cravings in the meantime is pairing those really moorish foods with a more nutritious option. So crowding out the plate with some color, some fiber, some protein. So maybe some some boiled eggs, some yogurt, some cheese and crackers, some cut up vegetables, and then having your mini portion chocolate bar or your caramella koala um, or your cupcake that someone's made and brought into work. You can still have those foods, but try and pair it with another nutritious option to help with stabilizing energy um, and actually just being satisfied with that snack. The last thing is to understand, like we spoke about, in um, some of our energy podcasts and sleep podcasts is that we do get that natural dump of energy in the afternoon. Instead of reaching for the sugary thing that you might initially crave, think about um, picking something that's going to make you feel more energized. So do what I just mentioned before, crowd out the plate with healthy options, or you could go for a walk, um, have a chat with an employee, have a cup of tea, something like that can help as well. We just need to reinvigorate for the day. Um, And lastly, when we're thinking, uh, I guess, about those sugar options, don't eliminate everything. We find people go cold turkey and they want to just take everything out of their diet. But the idea with things like non-diet and removing restrictions is that it sounds really crazy, but as soon as you give yourself absolutely full permission to eat whatever you want, you become less obsessive. So what quite often happens to people is they have these halo foods. So it might be like bread. People are obsessed with bread. As soon as you go on a low-carb diet, all you think about is a white crusty roll and crunching into it. It's the same with other foods like ice cream and brownies and, and caramel slice. You know, We could think these foods are amazing when we're on a diet, but once we give ourselves full permission to eat these foods whenever we want, the psychology is that we aren't obsessing about it all the time, we're not restricting it, and we're happy with a smaller portion. So our overall intake of these foods naturally reduces, and we often crave these healthier options. So I find as a starting point, you know, if you are craving sugar, look to eat more as a starting point. Make sure you get your carbohydrates and your fiber in. um, And then if you do feel like that after all of that, include it with some other healthy options or more nutritious options for stable energy. The last thing I wanted to touch on for nutrition Q&A, because we have done a lot today, um, is just to touch on keto diet really quickly, because I had a question about that. Um, so with the ketogenic diet, the it's another fad. It's another way to get calories down, uh, but it's really quite restrictive. So the keto diet was originally developed to treat um, epilepsy. And the reason was they removed these carbohydrates out and it the diet is meant to be 80 to 90% fat. That is a lot. In a standard, um, I guess, Western diet or healthy diet, we recommend almost like even portions. So 20, 25% protein, depending on your requirements, 40 to 55% carbohydrates and the rest from healthy fats. But with keto, at 80 to 90%, that's still low protein and low carb. But what I'm seeing in on Instagram is 
is higher protein portions and still just a very low carb diet instead of a high fat. So keto to produce ketones where our body is producing these ketones instead of producing glucose for energy, we really have to reduce all carbohydrates. And that means limiting things like specific vegetables, which isn't healthy in itself, and choosing certain nuts that are low carb. So it is very restrictive. It's another diet pattern. And I've actually seen quite a few clients um, come in. So I, I mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I had a 25-year-old male come in who was following keto and having disgusting sources of fat um, constantly, like really processed, saturated, trans, and his cholesterol jumped up to um, eight or nine, which is huge for a young person. So it is really reflective that if you have heart disease running in your family or chronic diseases, keto is probably not for you. It will increase your cholesterol risks and um, it does reduce your fiber, which naturally helps reduce cholesterol. So the other impact on low-carb diets is the impact on our gut health as well. So we are seeing research emerging that low-carb diets, because the carbohydrates are prebiotics, so they fuel our gut, gut bacteria, sorry, by taking them out, our diversity reduces, so we have less um, different types and species of bacteria, and so our gut health reduces as well. So it's important to note that if the impact of low-carb diet, if you're not getting enough fiber through your vegetables, um, which you probably won't because that's a lot of vegetables to eat and, and our low-carb veggies just don't really cut it, um, is it's really important that we think about our gut health in these situations as well. Wow. Okay. That's a lot of talking without Ryan here to interject. So hopefully you didn't mind hearing my voice and random people in the background while I sit in this band, but I really just wanted to get that podcast out there and chat to you guys um, about all these nutrition Q&As that you put through, about some key information that's been floating around the internet. Um, So hopefully that gave you a little bit of an idea. So pairing this podcast with um, the healthy eating basics one and the sports nutrition one, you hopefully get all the information you need to start a bit of a healthy lifestyle. If you want more one-on-one support, again, reach out to me. I can see you one-on-one. And if you just have general questions, I'm happy to answer them um, on my page as well. So email me um, at gbevan at eclipsefuel.com or you can just DM DM me on Instagram at eclipsefuel. So thank you so much for continuing to support the podcast as well and being patient while we have some ups and downs and busy times and all crazy things at our life. Um, So I'll finish with my weekly vice. Um, so for me, my weekly vice has actually been reading um, teenage novels. <laughs> so I've been reading um, some really old ones. So If I Stay, um, there's um, All the Boys I've Loved Before, I think it's called. I read the book version of that instead of just watching it on Netflix as well. Um, so I've just been really invo- in- enjoying teenage fiction um, and letting my brain just relax and not think about life. So that's my weekly vice. So if you need a relaxation that's not going to stimulate your brain before bed thoroughly enjoy um teenage sort of fiction and novels but for me because i don't have ryan here to bounce off i think that's all this has actually been a really long podcast so thanks for tuning in um i've really enjoyed being able to provide a lot for you for this first season of our podcast and thank you so much for engaging um we've had so many more downloads than we thought we would And we are preparing for a season two. So we'll probably have a couple of weeks hiatus just to build those episodes back up and release them uh, before we go to Italy in September and have another break. So thanks again for supporting us. Um, To do even more, remember to subscribe, give us five stars on the podcast review because that really helps in terms of um, getting our name out there and getting people to actually listen to the podcast, which is the whole point. We want to share the content and the good vibes and all the information. Um, on Instagram, make sure you follow me at Eclipse Fuel. I send out, um, you know, recipes. I share um, content specific to non-diet, to athletes, and it, I think it's a really good space for like a healthy attitude towards nutrition and health. 
Um, and you can share the podcast just by screenshotting you listening it and sharing it on Instagram stories. So thanks again for listening to our first season of The Athlete and the Average Joe. It is ironic that I'm finishing up with just the athlete component. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we really valued your listening. So chat to you next season.